What a song, huh? Wow, man, way to go. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here. If you're in the auditorium, in the atrium, joining us online, it's great that you're here as we launch the week one of this new series called The Four Loves. A group of children was asked one day to respond to some of the most difficult problems of the world. And so they were asked, with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? So Kalani, age eight. People should find lonely people in the world and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even number of each, assign lonely people and not lonely people to each other in the newspaper. <laughs> Kalani went on to found a match.com. Just thought you'd like to know that. No, no. Uh, Max, age nine. Make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, your dinner would say, how was your day? How are you doing? <laughs> Matt, age eight. We could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. Everybody needs a pet spouse, that's for sure. But the most touching response and the one that actually breaks your heart is from Brian, age eight. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of those. With billions of people, in the world, someone should do something about loneliness. Are you ever lonely? When your friends' careers are moving up and to the right and they're getting another promotion and you feel kind of stuck, that's loneliness. It's another Friday night and your companions on this Friday night again are Netflix and Little Caesar. That hollow place, that's lonely. You go to work and you work and work and work and you come home and you're exhausted and you fall in bed and you get up the next day and you work and work and work and you just get on this little wheel. Oftentimes it's driven, driven by loneliness. All day long it's kids, kids, kids. It's dinner time and you yell at your spouse. Might not have anything to do with what they've done and everything to do with the fact that you're just lonely. And then there are moments when the world is kind of calm and still and it's been tough and difficult and there's that place deep inside of us that wonders, like Brian, does anybody love me? Love is the only solution to loneliness. When God created the very first human being, Adam, he put him in this unbelievable environment and everything was good. The solar system, the sky, the birds, the trees, the plants, the flowers, it all was good, 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 good. And God creates Adam and he says, oh, that's so good. And Adam's walking around one day and God says, Adam, 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 there's something that's not good. You're alone. And so God creates Eve. The Bible says out of a part of his body, out of a rib maybe. And I thought, you know, after Adam and Eve lived together for a long time, they might get on each other's nerves once in a while. And I wonder if Adam ever turned to Eve and said to her, hey, dear, you better watch it. There's a lot more ribs where you came from. <laughs> Loving relationships are the only solution to loneliness. As our love goes up, 
loneliness goes down. It just works that way. And that's why we're taking this month of February to say to one another, you know what, we could, there could be more love in the world and I could be a part of that. And unfortunately, we overwork and exhaust this little four-letter word, love. We use it in so many ways. I love yogurt. I love my dog. I love the mountains. I love my kids. Personally, I love chocolate malts. And I love my wife. But there is a galaxy of distance between those two. This actually can get us into trouble. Like if, if my wife asked me, Dennis, why do you love me? And I say, oh, I love you because your hair, and I love you because how you treat the kids, and I love how you are with other people. I love, and then she looks at me and she goes, so your love is conditional on all those things you just listed. And I say, no, 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 I love you for no reason at all. That doesn't help either. It's tricky. <clears throat> so we're going to look at four loves, one every week, this, every weekend, this, this uh, month. And there's four Greek words that line up with each of these kinds of love. And uh, you don't need to write these down, but I'm going to give you the quick overview, and then we're going to dive into the first one. The first one is affection love. It's the broadest. It's the, it's the instinctual familiarity, the things that we grow to love, the things that I the things that we share. The Greek word is storge, and I'll show it to you in a minute. The second one is romantic love. Oh, we know about this one. It's the Greek word eros. We get the word erotic. This is a wonderful love, full of passion and sensuality, longing for deep human intimacy. Our culture has made a god out of eros, which leads to all kinds of destructive perversions. But eros pushes and drives two people together. Friendship love. That's the third kind. The Greek word is philia. We get the word philiadelphia out of it. The city of brotherly love. Friendship love. Friendship love is two people walking side by side, mutually supportive of each other. And the great thing about friendship love is if you add a third, it's no threat. It's actually an enhancement. You can add a fourth to friendship love. Whereas Eros love, you add a third, <laughs> blows it apart. But not this kind of love. And uh, Jesus had these kind of friends. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, comrades. The lack of friendship love is what's driving the epidemic of loneliness and is a factor in a lot of divorce. And here's the fourth love, divine love. It's the highest form of love and the one that Greeks talk the least about. And Jesus talked the most about. It's agape love. The unconditional affirmation of another person's worth and value, even if it means I sacrifice something to do it. And while eros love has the most feelings, agape love has the least. Friendship love, you'll lay down your life for a friend, but Jesus says, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. That takes agape love to do that. And you don't have to feel anything. But you can love a person. In fact, you can be hostile to that person and love them with agape love. And agape love empowers all the other loves. You take agape out of romantic love and you get pornography and all kinds of sexual abuse. You take agape love out of friendship love and you get manipulation. And we end up just using each other. You take agape love 
out of divine love, out of affection love, and you get sentimentality and codependence. A man asked Jesus one day, what is the number one most important thing in life? And Jesus doesn't bat an eye and he says, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying when we experience the divine, the agape love of God, the way we understand and demonstrate that is to love our neighbor. It's a package deal. And he's also saying that there's a deep place, a lonely place, deep in your heart and mine that can only be touched and filled by the love of God. And when we try to cram human being love, any other kind of love in that spot, it collapses. It puts enormous pressure on everything else to fill a need that only God can fill. Divorce, addictions of all kinds, some forms of depression, identity confusion, insecurity, affairs are often symptoms, not a lack of human love, but a lack of God's love. So I hope that you're going to sign on for every weekend because every weekend is important and critical for us to understand this panorama of love that we're going to be talking about. So we're today, like I said, we're going to take on the first kind of love, affection love, the broadest kind of love. And I want to talk about three benefits of affection love. But before I do, we need to understand what this kind of love is. It's the Greek word is storge. If you want to spell it and write it on your notes, affection is storge kind of love. And I've got some pictures of it. Here's one of the most uh, familiar ones. So let's see that picture See the look on the baby's face? That's storge love. It's a natural affection for a parent, from a child to a parent. See that look on mom's face? She's going, you have no idea what it took for me to get you to this spot. (laughs) That's agape love right there. She has paid a price to get to that spot. Let's see the next picture. Agape, storge love is the love between two animals. Cute, wonderful. God made those, believe it or not. Next one. Storge love is the love between human beings and animals. Right? When I showed you that picture of the kittens, you all went, oh, that's storge love. It's like, it's natural. It's like, oh, that's storge love. Here's another one. It can happen between dogs and cats. Not, not that natural, but that's storge love right there. Although that dog right there would not admit that he loves that cat to his friends. He wouldn't. And one more. I'm not really sure what that is right there. And from the look on that cat's face, neither is the cat. Not sure what that is. But how many of you, how many of you love nature? Okay, that's storge love right there. I love being out in nature. A sunshine, a good cup of coffee out on the back deck, a walk in your garden, ah, Wonderful. Our love for our country, patriotism, is a form of, a, of storge. How many of you love the Broncos? Come on. How many of you love the Patriots? You're kind of afraid to admit it. Yeah. How many of you love the Raiders? We'll pray for you. That's love gone bad there, I think. That's, uh, we can love certain kinds of activities like work. Fishing, mountain biking, reading, all of those. How many of you love learning and the world of ideas? Storge love, that's what that is. Those are all kinds of this very broad general kind of love that we have. We like to do stuff. 
C.S. Lewis writes this, as gin is not only a drink in itself, but also the base for many mixed drinks, so affection, besides being a love in itself, can enter into other loves and color them through and through and become the medium in which they operate. To make a friend is not the same as to become affectionate. But when your friend becomes an old friend, all those things about him which had originally nothing to do with friendship became familiar and dear with familiarity. As for erotic love, I can imagine nothing more disagreeable than to experience it for more than a very short time without this homespun clothing of affection. Affection is responsible for 90% of what is solid and, dur- what solid and durable happiness there are in our natural lives. 90% of our happiness comes from just things that we love in general. So here's three benefits. Number one, you can write it down. It stimulates our curiosity. Are you inquisitive? Do you love to learn? That's the beginning of this kind of love because there's so much of the world God has made for us to love. Proverbs 25, 2. It is God's privilege to conceal things and God's privilege and king's privilege to discover them. Another way of saying it, God delights in concealing things. Scientists delight in discovering things. I mean, it doesn't mean that God likes to hide stuff from us. It means that it's going to take some searching, some discovery to find it. Jesus is with a large group of people one day, and he tells a story about a farmer who sows seeds on four different kinds of soil, and he says that each soil reacts differently. The seed reacts differently in each soil. And then he says this, are you listening to this, really listening? And he walks off. People are going, what, Jesus is like giving us a gardening lesson here? No, and then Jesus later says, when they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, along with the 12, asked him about the stories. He told them, you have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works, but to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, creating readiness nudging them towards receptive insight. He's saying, I'm going to try to cultivate curiosity in people because unless we're curious, we're not, it's, it's just kind of the first part of love. Before Jesus explains the meaning of the soil story, he tells them that their desire to know more, their curiosity, their eagerness to learn is key. This is a very, very big deal when it comes to understand anything about the world that God has created and all the things that we can love in the world. Curiosity enlarges our capacity for wonder. And wonder leads to worship. And worship is the highest form of love. Abraham Heschel says this, who's the great Jewish spiritual leader and writer, said, he suffered a heart attack and died a few months later. In a conversation with a good friend, he said, when I regained consciousness after his heart attack, I felt only gratitude to God for my life. For every moment I had lived, I did not ask God for success. I asked him for wonder, and God gave it to me. How many of you love the mountains? Oh, man, we love the mountains. Because it creates a sense of wonder in us. People think that I just go up the Poudre River and fish. Like, that's all I do up there. That's all I care about. That's not true. I love it all. When I step out of my pickup in a campsite, I, I just pause and take it in. The smell of fresh pine, especially if there's 
been a rain. The smell of campfire smoke drifting over from the neighbor's campsite. At least I think it's campfire smoke. <laughs> it is Colorado. The sound of the river in the background, wind in the trees, the birds, blue sky, all of it. It creates a moment of wonder, which started with curiosity. I wonder what this experience is going to be like, because everyone is a little different. And wonder connects me to the beauty of God, to think that God created all of this. And he said, here, Dennis, on this particular day, here's your gift. It leads me to wonder, because wonder is greater than the sum of all the parts of what I love about being in the mountains. And wonder can lead to worship. We meet another person at work, or at school, or on an airplane, somewhere, in our neighborhood. And we begin to ask about their life. A little curiosity there, when it's appropriate to do that. That's affection love, just taking an interest. When I'm curious about a subject at school, or a new system at work, or a new video game, or universe, storegate love. When I begin to explore new places, or the history of the country, or the world, or some subject, compelled by curiosity to discover and love more about the amazing world God has put out there. That's affection. C.S. Lewis outlines the process, how affection grows in our lives. He says it starts with curiosity, and then we get near something. Then we notice. Then we endure. Then we smile at. Then we enjoy it. Then we appreciate it. That's a form of love. Curiosity leads to wonder, and wonder can lead to worship, and worship is the highest expression of love. So that's the first benefit. Here's the second one. It encourages inclusiveness. Romantic and friendship love are very exclusive and discriminating. I mean, we have a list of criteria that works as an operating system in our minds and hearts about the kinds of people we choose to be close friends. It creates insiders and outsiders. Friendship does. Hopefully, we have a very healthy list of expectations and values and beliefs for the person I'm going to marry. And at weddings, we, we make a vow, actually, to love this person, cherish this person more than any other human being. That's how romantic love works and friendship love works. In fact, the reason why friendships and marriages break up is because we've stopped meeting the criteria. In the case of an affair, when an outsider is brought into this love, it destroys it automatically. That's the way those kinds of love work. They're designed to be that way. But affection love, there's no expectation necessarily of relationship. It would be great if it happened, but that's not the expectation. There's only one place in the entire New Testament where storge love is mentioned in a positive way. Romans 12.10. Love each other with Genuine affection, storge, and take delight in honoring each other. That's right there. That's a picture of storge. In fact, a little later, it's used the opposite, Romans 131. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no heart. That's anti-storge and have no mercy. In this kind of love, we suspend the criteria and expectations and just love people around us indiscriminately. I don't have an agenda. I'm not concerned about what they think or believe or how they live or even how they respond to me. I'm not trying to change that person. There's a tremendous amount of freedom in this kind of love. 
It's the most accepting and the least judgmental. We can disagree about all kinds of things and after the debate and the arguments and the impassioned expression of my point of view and yours, I can walk away with a sense of respect for that other person's basic humanity. Most of us have a disease. It's called hardening of the categories. It's a heart disease. Because we like to put people in categories. And at the top of the category is a name. And whenever I can put somebody in a category, I have a way of treating these people because they're in this category. She's, those people are that. Those people are that. Oh, you're one of those. Categories create insiders and outsiders. Jesus' mother and brothers come to him one day. They think Jesus has gone over the edge. Like he's lost it. Like he's, he's had a mental break. That's what they think. This is a family intervention. They come to get him. And they send, it's where Jesus is teaching, and it's so crowded, they can't get into the building. So they send word in, Mark 3. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus responds, who are my mother and my brothers? He asks. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and si- brother and sister and mother. I mean, on the one hand, this seems very harsh. Mom comes to get Jesus and he goes, you're not my mom. Well, he doesn't say that exactly. He says, let me, ex- let me take your understanding of family and who fits in family. He says, when, from God's perspective, family is this. It's not this. Jesus takes the category of family and just blows it out of the water. It includes his biological family. And what's, what Jesus is saying is, when you're in my presence, when you're here, we're in your group of people where Jesus is being talked about, your family, your family. People say to me, oh, Robert Frost said this, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. People say to me all the time, because Crossroads is a family. People say to me all the time, when I first came to Crossroads, I felt so welcome. I felt so accepted. Is it friendly? People actually mean it here. People are genuinely friendly here. And oftentimes, I'll look them in the eye and go, you want to know why that is? It's because we like people. We like people. We've learned storge kind of love. There's no expectation on your part. We just are glad that you're here. And if you're here, you're family. I grew up in a church that really didn't function this way. Here's the three things that happened in the church where I grew up. The three B's. It seemed like this is how they defined family. If you believe, we had a very specific set of things to believe. And if you behave... And there were things that were very specific about, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't, not, not here. Then you can belong. In Mark 3, Jesus says, I understand. He goes, that's hardening of the categories. Here's the way it is in the family of God. First, you can belong. That's what he's saying here. You can belong. You're here. I don't care what you believe, what you think, your lifestyle, all that. You're here, you belong. Right? I'm going to help you learn what you believe. Jesus is teaching in this house. I'm going to help you sort through what it is you want to believe. 
And why does all that matter? Because Jesus says, I want you to become all that God's created you to be. And I'll empower you and help you. And here's ultimately what I want you to do, Jesus says. I want, I want you to be loving. I want you to love God. And I want you to love your neighbor. That's what he's about. And so you're at crossroads, right? You're all, you're all in the family today because you're here, right? And you might be watching online. If you're new or fairly new, all right, you're, we're gonna treat you like family, but you might not think you're part of the family just yet. Here's our rule. If you've been here three times, you're family. You've probably said this to neighbors. Once you've been here three times, you're family. All right, you've been here more than three times. I'm gonna tell you how we want you to treat everybody else in the family here. First of all, we want you to smile at each other. How many of you can just like smile? You can be really shy and introverted and we respect that, but you can smile. And this is what we want you to do when you come here. We want you to smile at people around you. Just smile. Okay, and if you wanna take the next step, I'll teach you, the, here's the next step. Say hi. Try it. That was pretty weak. That's, that's a good, that's a little more, inter- say hi. <laughs> okay, I get it, all right. But we want you to do that here. Smile at people, say hi. That's storge love. I want you to practice that here. Right, so when you come uh, on a weekend, say hi, smile at people. That's, that's part of being friendly. It's part of storge kind of love we want to create here. And here's the third thing. When you're standing with a group of friends in the atrium, the temptation is to stand in a donut. In a circle, right? But circles create insiders and outsiders. So when you come in on a weekend and you're staying with friends, don't think donut, think croissant. <laughs> you with me? All right, it opens the circle. It says we're open here. You're welcome in our circle. We want you here. It's a much easier to walk up to a circle that's open than it is to barge into a circle that's closed. So let's call each other on this. You could just walk up and whisper to a circle, croissant. Croissant, all right? That's right. That's storge love. That's what we're gonna do here. All right, those are three things. Here's number three. Benefit of storge love. It recognizes the image of God in every person. We all have preferences for what we like and don't like. We all have bias. And sometimes bias is a very neutral thing. We have music bias. People like country music. People like jazz. People like classic People like rock and roll. Doesn't matter. That's music. That's fine. People have food bias. How many of you love Italian? How many of you love Cajun? How many of you love fast food? All right. How many of you don't like fast food? See, that's no storge love there, right? You gotta, you, you gotta, I'm just teasing. Car bias. How many of you go Ford? How many of you are Chevrolet people? How many of you are Ferrari people? Yeah, me too. How many of you are I got the best deal kind of people? That's it. Those biases don't matter. But one of the reasons Jesus, why so many people were drawn to Jesus is because he saw something in them that was so valuable and so good. He was able to look beyond so many of the biases and the filters that we often put up before we're willing to extend love to people. In fact, Jesus was often criticized for loving people in this way. But Jesus understood this, Genesis 1:27. So God, when God created human beings, he created them how? In his image. And it's repeated, in the what? Image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
We're the only beings in the universe as we know it to carry this, the image of God. In Latin, it's called the imago Dei. Imago Dei. Say that with me. Imago Dei. The image of God. There is something in the spiritual, biological, psychological, and social DNA of a human being that carries the very image of God that no other creature has. And that's what Jesus saw and embraced and recognized in every single human being that he met. And he was able to sort through all of those other biases because he understood this. When he saw a person, it isn't like he didn't see all that other stuff, but he saw image of God in that person, worthy of love, worthy of my respect, worthy of basic human honor. Jesus heals the child of a Roman soldier. He pushes through racial bias to love this man's family. A woman caught in adultery. Jesus ignores sexual sin of all kinds to get to love the very core of this woman because behind all that, he saw the image of God imprinted on this woman. The Syrophoenician woman, Jesus ignores cultural and gender bias to love this woman. Children, the socially rejected, people with disabilities, the spiritually whacked out people. Jesus went and sorted through all of that so he could get to the DNA, the Imago Dei, the image of God in human beings. Jesus took a, a Roman collaborator, treason from the Jewish perspective. He picked him and he picked someone on clear on the other end of the political spectrum, this Jewish zealot. You talk about the antithesis. You talk about polar extremes of the political spectrum. Jesus goes, I want you and I want you. I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna love you. You go, that's fine. Jesus can love them. But he says, that's not good enough. I want you to love each other. I want you to learn to love each other. And I don't know where you stand on the end of the political spectrum. And I don't know who you're going to put on, clear on the other end of the spectrum from you. But here's what Jesus is saying. Not only is it enough to love me, I want you to love them. You don't have to be friends. You don't have to do all of that. But I expect you and want you to store gay love. Basic human dignity and kindness toward each other. That's storge, and it's where we start. And some of you are saying right now, there is no way in hell I can do that. Well, why would you want to stay in hell? Come over to heaven. We can help you there. We can help you there. And the truth is, like I said earlier, without the divine love of God, we're stuck. We're stuck with just the best I can do. And oftentimes the best I can do isn't enough. We have to draw on the love of God in order to do that. And the way we start is to say, no matter who that human being is, how they look, all of that, they have the image of God imprinted on their heart, worthy of my love. This last week, I had to make a phone call that I dreaded. I had put off this phone call for weeks and weeks 
and weeks, but finally this week I made it. I called our internet service provider. <laughs> How many of you dread these calls? You get it, right? So I call them up and because all of a sudden all of our biases go up, right? All our filters. Because, because we're going to get somebody on the end of the phone and we're going to make judgments about this person. And sure enough, I get a person and because of how they talk to me, I don't even know if they're in this country. I know their first language is not English. And I get, I ask him his name. His name is Ivan. So Ivan and I begin this kind of long, laborious conversation about changing my internet service. And all of my biases are playing in my head. And there's moments when I'm tempted to just, I need another person. Hang up the phone, dial back, all of that business. But when he put me on hold for the fourth time, I remembered this. Ivan is created in the image of God. He's not a machine out there on the end of my phone call. He is a human being. The Imago Dei is imprinted on his life and his heart. And while I was on hold, I had a long time to think about Ivan. <laughs> and I thought, he's trying to do his job. How many of you would do that job? getting hung up on people all day long, people frustrated because, and I think maybe he's exercising Storge with me. Maybe I'm the one that can't be understood, not him. And I thought, you know, Ivan, he's working hard today. He's going to go home tonight. He's going to talk about his day with his family, likely. He might have children. And I just wonder how many times Ivan goes home discouraged because of how people treat him on the phone. And I thought, all through there, Ivan, image of God, image of God, image of God. And that drives my ability to exercise love to this person. And whenever we come into contact with a human being, this coming week, this coming month especially, we have an opportunity to exercise storge love. Like Katie mentioned last week, every human being we come into contact with, we, we can give a gift. A prayer, a smile, a hello. Basic human kindness. Why? Because deep inside that person and deep inside you is the image of God. And if nothing else, that is worth loving. C.S. Lewis writes in the book Four Loves, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It won't be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers of love is hell. So this week as we move out into our world, might we remember every person we see bears the image of God and is worthy and worth our love. Even if it's not returned. Maybe especially if it's not returned. Will you do that? This is the start of our love process.
We're gonna expand it in the community this week. Will you stand with me and I'll pray that we can do this. Lord, you created this unbelievable place called earth and you put us here and you said, love it, love it, expand love, be curious about it, explore it, experience it, but extend it, offer it to every human being that we meet. And God, might we do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Few things before you leave. Um, get in one of those small groups. Take that tear off, take it out of the table, grab a friend, do that. This is gonna be a great month. Second thing, if you need prayer for anything, Jan is down here, she'd love to pray with you. And we got a little Super Bowl party planned out here. So be nice to each other. Next a little story you love. Go out there, say hello, have some food. We'll see you next weekend.